Welcome to the Buck Stops here, the official podcast of NottonHallOfFame.com, and I'm your host, the Buck, Kirk Buckner, owner, operator of NottonHallOfFame.com and its sister sites, the Fictitious Athlete Hall of Fame and the Fictitious Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In the pro- one of the processes of doing this website is I've got to talk to some interesting people. Uh, one is the late, great Chavo Guerrero Sr., whose autobiography I helped uh, pen, and with the help of Chavo Guerrero Jr., it's uh, probably going to be coming out pretty uh, soon. And with that, I reached out to a gentleman named Kenny Casanova, who is a former wrestler, former manager, and wrestling manager. And he's written quite a few uh, books for some of the wrestlers. And I reached out to him. He's going to help me out uh, with the whole publishing aspect of it. And I said to him, well, let's, I think we should have a great conversation. You've had an amazing life in the business, still are. Uh, still doing so many different uh, things, uh, helping out some of the wrestlers, and uh, come on the show and let's uh, have a chat. And he agreed. Uh, without any further ado, here's Kenny Casanova. Mr. Casanova, it's a pleasure. Hey, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So first, first thing I have to ask, uh, actually before we sort of go in, so we first sort of made acquaintance when uh, I reached out to you because you've offered to sort of, with your assistance on an autobiography that I co-wrote with the late, great Chavo Guerrero Sr. And I thank you for that. Hopefully we're going to get everything uh, rolling on we that. we got to get and, that out. we got to yeah. get that out. I want to read it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just uh, waiting on a few uh, pictures from Chavo Jr. And once we have that, uh, we'll be able to sort of uh, put everything in motion for that. But that's sort of where I was doing my research. And I had already discovered you before because I read a book that you co-wrote uh, or ghost-wrote for one of my favorite wrestlers growing up, and still to this day. I mean, I have so many great memories of him. Kamala. Yes, that was our first one. Uh, did a good job with that. Uh, uh, getting some eyes on uh, on the project. Um, all kinds of people jumped in to help. We had his uh, his interview on Steve Austin's podcast, and we did a Kickstarter, and uh, lots of people threw in for that, and it did a super job for it. We made some good money off of it too. You know, which is fantastic because it's uh, one of those people who I think, and you would know be- far better than I, I sort of feel sort of got a bit of the wrestling shaft, if, if that makes sen- yeah. any sense. Because there are certain people who are, their financial income didn't necessarily equate their notoriety. And I always sort of felt like right. he was one of those people. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, when I had heard that he had lost both legs to... Uh, diabetes, you know, that made it even more so because a lot of these guys don't have good uh, retirement funds. They don't have good medical. Um, so that's when I reached out to him. I had played kimchi for him a number of years up and down on the East Coast. Not not the kimchi or the Fridays that you would see in WWE or Memphis, but um, up and down the Northeast, you know, I did some kimchi work for him, and uh, I. I had heard the news, so I reached out to him, and I said, hey, I said, what do you think about, maybe we could put your story together, for the same reason that you're saying. I knew it, he had super notoriety, and he was known around the world, but he just didn't have a whole lot in his bank account to equate that, he didn't monetize it. Um, just let's get the story together, maybe we can get a book for you, and you know, you can keep the money for that, maybe it'll help out. And he said, Kenny, let me call one guy, I gotta talk to him first. And I'm like, well, who's that? He's like, well, one of, one of my guys, he, he helps me, uh, he helps me kind of, like, figure out what's good deals. So I'll let you talk to him. And then he has Coco Beware, the Birdman, call me. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I'm like, yeah, that, that's the guy we would have talked to, Coco Beware. So I talked to him, and uh, he just pretty much vetted me. You know, he was like, you know, I want you to think of James as being like your grandfather, you know, and how you wouldn't want to screw your grandfather. I'm like, no, dude, totally, I'm on to have it up with this. I, and that's when I started learning more about the publishing business because um, first idea was let's let's publish the book and, and get him a good, you know, uh, uh, advance. But the advances weren't so good. And I started learning, well, maybe we could just skip that and just publish it ourselves and keep all of it. And we figured it all out. And that's what seemed to work for us, that formula. So how did you get into wrestling yourself? So in the early 90s, uh, I was running a, a comic book store. My goal was eventually get out of there and teach literature. Uh, I wanted to become a teacher. I, I, now I am a high school teacher, actually. Uh, so uh, I was working there, and there was, a, there was a kid in the store that told me he was looking to go to a pro wrestling school. We talked about wrestling all the time. That was his dream. He wanted to go. And eventually, he found a, a school. And it was out of Elmira, New York, which is very... Uh, upstate west area uh and uh, i started going with them every weekend and meet a lot of wrestlers we never really knew we never heard of because they weren't on tv all that much but then every weekend there was a show and they would bring in a guy who we did hear of and that guy would kind of seminar us he would sit and talk to us and tell us stuff and some of those guys were like uh bandan bigelow and uh, uh superfly snooker and the bushwhackers and uh, there's a guy named uh, Tom Brandy who come around a lot. Um, oh yeah, yeah, self sincere. Um, so yeah, so all of these guys were showing up, and I was learning a lot from them. While my buddy was, uh, he was taking bumps in the ring, and I learned how to wrestle too. But I sucked at it. I mean, I was all right. I just wasn't great. But they were like, "Dude, you're really good on the mic and stuff. You should manage more." So I learned how to bump and did the whole thing. You know, I was more like a. I know, maybe how you would picture Raven in WCW or like Bobby Heenan or, uh, you know, I was a manager that, that bumped some, mm -hmm. you know. And I would do mixed tags sometimes and stuff like that, but I didn't do a whole lot of one-on-ones. I did some one-on-ones, but, you know, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I was looking, so like, I think we're roughly around the same age. I'm 47. Uh, so imagine, yep. uh, when, when did you start watching wrestling? Like, for me, it was 12. Okay, so, I don't know how old I was. I, I, very first earliest thoughts of wrestling was something to do with uh, Captain Lou Albano beating on Larry Zabisco. And I remember watching it a little bit in my mom's, on the TV in my mom's bedroom, and thinking, wow, man, that guy, he's beating on that guy. And I didn't think much of it. And after that, really the first storyline um, that I sat and watched and understood, um, maybe I was 10, mm -hmm. maybe 11. I'm not sure even, but it was uh, it was uh, Tito Santana versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. <laughs> that was the that was the first big feud that I could really comprehend and remember back to and, right. and understood it all. So and, and then full um, circle, you 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 worked with Tito. Yeah, yep. I, I told him that when I was putting the book together. I'm like, dude, this is like this is the stuff that I grew up on. <laughs> this right here, this is the main feud. And the thing with Tito too was funny because he was more relatable. You had Hulk Hogan at the same time, who was the larger than life big superhero that everyone um, you know, worshipped as a kid and, and the whole deal, but Tito 
had these comebacks and he was a he was a baby face you could relate to so if he got beat up you felt it you felt for him and you wanted to see him come back and you sympathized with with it all so uh that feud for those who might be listening that don't recall uh the whole idea was is tito had messed up his knee and he was going to go out anyhow he needed some kind of uh, operation and uh, he mentioned it to Piper backstage, and Piper's like, oh, kid, you should go and make an angle out of it. So he, he plugged it to be Orndorff. Paul Orndorff was going to take him out and hurt his knee, and then he would come back, and he would uh, he would try to take uh, and, and win his title back. He had the Intercontinental Belt at this point, and um, he was going to use the same move against the guy that put him out with that move. That mm-hmm. was kind of the, the figure formula. four. Yeah. Figure four. And that, and uh, at the time, Greg DeHammer Valentine was, uh, you know, doing the figure four. That, that, that's the move that it became. But at first it would have been Paul Orndorff, but he had some kind of heat. So I'm not sure. I mean, if maybe Paul Orndorff was still there, maybe Tito would have been doing pile drivers. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> 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 well, not, not far off. He's not, he's not that much smaller than uh, Orndorff. He could have done that. And right, then, right. <laughs> yeah, and then talking full circle, like because he's a teacher now too. So you're both working on lesson plans. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Go figure. And uh, also, the, uh, just a segue about Tito. Thank you for helping arrange uh, the interview that I got to do with him. And it, it was it was a pleasure. Like such a down to earth uh, person. Oh, yeah, he's great. He's great. Like trying to get him not to be humble seemed impossible. <laughs> you know what's funny too is I, uh, I helped him get another um, uh, interview with a, a, another podcast at some point and um, uh, they said to him and this is the first time I've ever heard that and I'd worked with him quite a bit they were like we would like you to pretend you just turned heel we want you to cut a heel promo and it was the first time we cut a heel promo ever because um, again for those that don't know he he was babyface since day one and never turned heel. He's one of the few guys that that's actually the case. I think that happened with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It's, it's funny you bring that up, though. He was one of the very few that ever did that. Because you know, it's funny you bring that up because, like, right after I finished my my conversation with him, I thought to myself, "Damn, I forgot to ask him if he was ever a heel." I had all yeah. these things listed out that I wanted to ask him, like, where the hell was Tequila, Mexico? And <laughs> he told me that story. <laughs> Did he tell you that story? Yeah, yeah, he told me that story, how Tequila, Mexico, he said Toluca, and then just, who was it, uh, Finkel messed it up or something? The Fink was saying it wrong. Tequila, Mexico! He would say it wrong. You know, I, don't know, I think those guys would drink a bunch of martini and stuff before the shows. Uh, who knows? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, maybe that was more Lord Alfred Hayes was the martini guy, I think, but... I've heard uh, that. Yeah, he was just mispronouncing uh, the the name of it. But I guess at one point, right around the time when Tito was going to uh, break off of Rick the Model Martel from Strike Force, um, he was pitching it. He wanted to do a heel run, and uh, but, really? but Rick, Mar- yeah, but Rick Martel got to Vince before he had and pitched uh, the whole model thing, and. and and Vince went with the model idea. You know, so. it's it's funny you bring that up because the first interview that I ever did for the site before I was ever like recording any of these was actually with Rick Martel, and he had told sure. me that he yeah, and he told me that he he, he pitched that he wanted to be heel, and if he wasn't going to get become a heel, he wasn't coming back. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what did it. And uh, it seemed from what Tito said, there was a glimmer of hope that he was going to do some kind of heel thing for WWF, but uh, uh, I think 
Rick made that ultimatum and then it didn't happen. But mm-hmm. it, it did it did very well for Rick, so you know, good for him. Um, I worked with Rick Martell. It's one big crazy show out of Boston. He's okay. super nice to me. Um, the funny thing was, is there was no one at this show. Like the promoter's name was Mike Rush. I don't know what ever happened to him. I think he moved to Brazil or something. But uh, <laughs> man, this show, this show was nineteen. I want to say ninety-five, maybe ninety-six, and it had all kinds of people on it for what you would consider an indie show. Mm-hmm. It had. Uh, Don Callis, who, uh, who oh, was yeah. big Jack Ups on that. What the hell is what's his name, man? Uh, uh, Donnie Flamingo. Uh, oh, really? His name was Donnie Flamingo on the show. Oh, Donnie Flamingo? I didn't know that he called himself Donnie Flamingo. Yeah, and oh, he wow. had teamed with Rick Martell. They were driving all around um, with this new tag team that they were going to push just before Can Am Connection came, which I... eventually turned into Strike Force. Um, okay. What the hell's his name? Why can't I think of his name? He was the uh, he had the chew on his head in the Attitude Era. He went over to ECW. Oh, really? Don Callis, but uh, uh, what, I don't that? know. I can't think of his name. I'll think of it. Okay. Better, but all good. Anyhow, they were, they were there, and then uh, Nails was there. Um, Agent and Christian were there before they they were called that. They were called Sexton Hardcastle <laughs> and. Uh, whatever Christian yeah. was. I think it was Showtime, Showtime Christian Cage. Maybe that's what he was called, yeah. yeah, I, saw, um, I, yeah I remember seeing Edge actually in a dark match in Ottawa the day after the <laughs> Montreal Screwjob. Oh, nice. Yeah. They had a deaf manager um, with them at this at this thing. He was deaf. He couldn't hear. Oh. Um, also, Scotty Tuhati was there. Um, all kinds of people were there. Um, Dan Severn was there. Um, magazines came... Uh, from Japan to cover this thing, but there was like nobody in the audience. But man, Rick the model was so cool. Like he he was just like, I'm going to still go out there, and he put on a great match. And it didn't matter that it was only for like you know a dozen people or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice guy, but I've never been able to reach him since then. Um, just never crossed paths with him, and tried to reach him for the book, and just wasn't able to do so. Um, so there's nothing in the Tito book from Rick Martell other than comments that he's made in other interviews that I was able to use. So, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> but but. You've managed quite a few other people when you were uh, doing some independent shows in the Northeast. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how I got a lot of contacts. Yeah. Through some of the book stuff. So, uh, things that I worked with, uh, King Kong Bundy, I did a bunch of stuff with, Nikolai Volkoff, um, all kinds of people that, uh, you know, were the early... Uh, if you remember the LJN figures, I worked with most of the LJN <laughs> no, figures. I, I, no, I'm <laughs> laughing because, like, when you, for whatever reason, as soon as you said Bundy and then Volkov, that was the first thing that sort of came into my head. Those <laughs> those action figures and those thumb wrestlers and all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I just the Bundy figure boom. was great because it it was like a it was pretty much like a, a rubber bowling ball, and if you got hit with that, you knew it. <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, I worked with all kinds of those guys. And basically what happened was, is, you know, the mid to the late 90s, um, when some of those guys were stepping out of WWF, they were stepping into the independent scene in the Northeast. So if a lot of them had connections, like Monday did to New Jersey or like Superfly Snooker, they were working on the same shows that I was. So then I'd get to work a lot with these guys, you know, taking headbutts from Snooker or Bundy Slashes or whatever, you know, miscue spots and stuff. Um, so then later on, you know, 
I'm putting a book together. I can call these guys up and they remember me and then I can get more out of them. Mm-hmm. That's what worked pretty well with the book deal. Is, uh, if they think you're one of the boys, they'll talk to you because they know you're not going to bury them or you're not going to expose something they don't want to expose or put it, shed them in a bad light. Right. And uh, they felt more comfortable with me and I was able to also fill in blanks better. Um, so it's been a pretty easy match as far as you know, pointing out how writing some of these things to, you know, could work with me being sort of in the ring with them at one point and now, you know, behind the keyboard. So Kamala was the first and that went uh, went over like really well. And as we've uh, chatted before offline, uh, that was, uh, I've actually read that. So the whole marketing campaign certainly got me <laughs> to, to read that. And then eventually later on, five years later, contact you to help me with our project. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. Came, what came after? Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it was basically a, it, it was thought to be, it was just going to be a Kickstarter reward, you know, but then uh, we we sold right through and people kept wanting and kept wanting and we're still counting them, so mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> so what came after that? So after that, well, immediately after that, I started Vader's book, but that's not what came out next because Vader, um, for one, I don't want to say he's difficult to work with. He was harder to get the stories out of it at first. Um, it took a while to kind of um, get him to break down mm. a little bit more some of the walls and stuff, because I had never worked with him. I worked with most of the WWF guys up in this area, but like he was more south and more west. So I didn't know him that well, and he didn't know me that well, though we had done a couple of shows up here before. Um, uh, so I started doing some stuff with him a little bit, and what would happen was I'd write some, and he would go dark for like mm. yeah. three or four months in a row. I couldn't reach him. You know, I wouldn't hear him. Or if, or, or if I did, I'd get to him and he'd be like, hey man, you know, I got some stuff going on. I'm, I'll get back to you. Don't worry. He's like, don't, you know, that went on for four years. You so know? did and he reach out to you time, first or did you reach well, out to him? Uh, you know what it was? It was weird. It was on Twitter, I think. Somebody said, dude, you should have Casting over to your book, they wrote it, mm-hmm. and I saw it. So I think I just tweeted him on Twitter. I said, "Yeah, if you want, I'll help you out." And then he responded. He he wrote back to me and said, "Yeah, let's talk." And he gave me his number. Uh, then I then we got talking, and you know, I remember this was funny. Like I hadn't heard from him maybe in six months, and I started to get worried that we weren't doing it anymore, even though I had probably about a third of the book written. And he calls me up. I was in Graceland. I was in Memphis um, because I was visiting Kamala for something. And he calls me up. He's like, "Hey, let's get it going again." And then we then we really went full steam on it, and we finished it. But then, to take a step even further um, into confusion, he got the uh, diagnosis that he had the congestive heart failure and was going to pass away within two years. Mm. So then we said, "Well, we got to scrap some of this now and change it because." This is going to change the whole end of the book because yep. now, and also, um, he knows he has an expiration date, and that's a very odd thing for any human to, to have the knowledge that you're going to pass within this amount of time. What kind of message do I want to send to the world? What kind of loose ends do I want to tie up? What do I want to do to plan for the future, you know, for my son and stuff like this? So, uh, we changed a lot. We rewrote the whole thing. I mean, not the whole thing, but we had to put a lot of that in the book uh, because if he's telling a story now, his story is going to have a little bit right. of a 
of a different voice in some places. And also, he didn't want to come off um, like the total jerk in a story where he may have not minded that in the past. He didn't want to leave mm-hmm. behind negativity um, and, you know, and be remembered and maybe, you know, by somebody reading the story as being some kind of, you know, uh, bitter, uh, negative individual where he could fix that by telling the story a little differently. Mm-hmm. So um, the book changed big time. So that book really went through a bunch of changes. So it actually went like this. Uh, I wrote Vader, then, um, I'm sorry, I wrote Kamala, then I started Vader, and then I started Danny Davis, um, Dangerous Danny Davis, as some people remember, Heart Foundation Connection. Who you he also helped me interview. Thank you for that. Great guy. I love this <laughs> awesome, guy. Yeah. Never met him yeah. already, but he was, he made me laugh so hard. Yeah, he's great. Um, so, uh, and we had a different idea for him. He didn't really want to do a, a, a tell-all wrestling traditional book with lots of road stories. He wanted to talk about how he was a bad kid and deciding to take on um, you know a good work ethic. Um, took a job with WWF and worked his way all the way up from um, ring crew to being at WrestleMania three and one of the main events. So um, we we told that story in a kind of a young adult nonfiction type book. And before I quite finished with that, I started Brutus Beefcake's book, and then they came out around the same time. So it's Dangerous Danny Davis with Brutus Beefcake. Uh, then I did Sabu's book and then Bader's book came out right around the same time as that. Uh, and we just finished Tito's book and as I was telling you off air, I've got another one that I'm working on now. That'd be pretty big. <laughs> yeah, no, actually that one sounds incredible. Yeah. Going back to the one with, with Vader, I know exactly sort of what, what you're referring to, uh, with, cause as I mentioned earlier, I worked on the one for Chavo Guerrero senior and he let me know that he was not well. He didn't actually tell me how bad it was. So I found oh, out okay. when I was actually in a, in a work trip for my then regular job. I now can do this full time. Uh, so I found out on TMZ he died. Oh, yeah. And so that explained like, oh my, because he called me two weeks before and he was so contrite. And he said... Yeah. Things aren't going well. And then he said, like, okay, everything's done, but I, I, I feel bad about some of the things I said. Yeah. So I huh. changed a few things, and he saw that and said it was good, and then I didn't hear back from him. That Obviously, now I know why. Yeah. And, huh. and now I'm dealing with his son, and I guess he just needed some time, he just needed some time to process all of that. And, right. And uh, so Chavo Jr. and I are sort of we're working on that together. But... Yeah, when you said that all that stuff with Vader and that he had to change a whole bunch of stuff, like your anger goes away so quick when you know that it doesn't right. matter anymore. Right, right. You know, and a lot of that goes to typical human nature. You figure down the road, I could always fix that if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But now you have that, like I said, expiration date. You might not get to that unless you start to fix that now. You know, and I think that was kind of the idea. Um, so uh, it's funny, too, because Shavo has come up a, in a bunch of um, stuff that I've done uh, in, the, in the past. I mean, he wrote one of the forwards for Kamala. Um, I mean, uh, Tito talked quite a bit yeah. about him in his book. And now 
the new project, the, the guy that I'm doing on, uh, got his roots in Houston wrestling and talked quite a bit about Shago uh, working a lot of matches with Gino Hernandez and he talks a lot about mm-hmm. Gino's dad. So Shago um, just keeps coming up. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's just one of those characters too. Uh, actually, when I went to go meet him in San Antonio, so I'm, fl- I'm flying out of Toronto um, to, to, uh, to go there. And it was the funniest thing, because like in, in Canada, if you're flying to the United States, there's the U.S. border customs already right there. And so they're asking me, like, why am I going to San Antonio? And I just said, truth, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm go- I'm going to uh, meet up with the person who, uh, whose book I'm ghostwriting. Who's that? Okay, yeah. Ch- Chavo Guerrero Sr. And then he stopped and he says, like, no, I remember watching this guy in Houston. <laughs> He's just going on and on. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's like nice. a hundred people behind me. And he's just telling me all these stories, and I'm thinking, like, I was meant to write this. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And so, like, and I, and I got there, and Chavo picked me up at the airport, and he just told me, and I told him that. It, was, it made his day. Yeah. You know, and um, I've kind of taken it on myself, too, um, you know, as a teacher. I keep pushing others to write these books because I realize I, I can't do them all. There's no way. And also, man, to get that book in your hand and to see that you were able to have your hand in a project like this and keep these stories from just going to dust. Mm-hmm. Like, that guy's got these stories that he remembers, you know, but when people pass, they've taken the stories with them. But if we're able to sit down with some of these guys and get pen to paper, you know, right. you're not letting the legend die. I mean, in the future, oh, you know, so the book's going to last longer than everybody else. So, so true. I've got a, a handful of other people like you that have these books, um, you know, in the works and got to get them out there. And uh, I keep nagging. It's funny. I've got a, like, I couldn't, I had too much going on when Ken Patera wanted a book. So I, I contacted the podcast guy. I said, dude, you want to do your own book? I, I want you to, I want you to stop your podcast and just interview Ken Patera for six months. And that's what he's been doing. So instead of a podcast now, my buddy Simon Gregory, who used to do a podcast called The New Era of Podcast. He just calls Ken Patera now and interviews him, and he's taping them all in the interview, and he's, he's transcribing it. And it went from him wanting to help me to now he wants to write the whole thing, and that's what I wanted him to do all along so he could get it done. I didn't have time to do it. So he's taking it on. I'm going to help him get it published in the same thing. Oh, that's awesome. I got the same thing going on with another guy that was like kind of like a dirt sheet guy. He's doing Curtis Hughes. So he's oh, my doing God. A lot There's of a name stuff. I haven't heard for a long time. Yeah, so he's doing the Mr. Hughes book. Um, so I got him doing that now, you know. I also got Justin Credible in the works, too. We've been working on it some off and on. Same type of thing um, where I said sometimes the guys go dark. Like, uh, right now, Credible's dark a little bit. It's not, not meaning it ain't going to happen. We'll, we'll just get to it once we get to it. Um, we got about a third of it written, you know. Then there's this guy named Wes, who, uh, when I was writing the Sabu book, who... Um, uh, Sabu talked a big story about early on. He worked for uh, a guy in Canada named uh, the Bear Man, or also known the Wild Man, Dave uh, McKigney. I know who exactly. Yes, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know who did it? Well, yeah, Bear. Yeah, because you know, just as, as a Canadian, I think he did a bunch. Yeah, yeah. The Wild Man. Yeah, was he the guy with the twins? Or he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a here. 
Uh, it's not the Thompson Twins. My head's coming up with a name, but the Thompson Twins. Twins that went around with them. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Right? There, there's your there's your eighties DJ in, in you coming out. The Thompson Twins. Hold me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but the, uh, the it's like the McGin the McGinley Twins or something like that. They were on uh, beer commercials. Up yeah, there. you know, the, okay, but, um, I think they were from Hamilton. If I remember yeah, right, yeah. they were in a commercial with. It wasn't Maurice Vachon, but it was some, some like the, that they were doing an O. Henry commercial. The McKinney twins. I know, I can visualize them. I think one of them passed away with Adrian Adonis, I think. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to mention is yeah. that uh, the Bear Man died you know, from that. They were riding together with Adrian Adonis and the Bear Man, um, who was a, a promoter as well as a wrestler. But uh, the Bear Man was called the Bear Man. Because he had a wrestling bear. Like, he started out at the fair and he bought a bear and taught it how to wrestle. And then a lot of these guys early on that were wrestling bears, like Roddy Piper and all this, they were all uh, this guy's pets that he would teach how to wrestle. And he promoted shows and he would have one bear match, one girls match, and like a, a midget match, you know, and maybe a tag match and then a single match. And that's pretty much what he did out in Canada. So, um, Anyhow, when I was doing the research for that, I found a Facebook page with this guy that had all kinds of stuff. He had, like, posters and clippings, and I'm like, man, you you should write a book. He's like, nah, nah. I'm like, come on, man. Put, I, I put this story together that I put in here with Sabu's book. He's got all this stuff. You can easily do it. Nah, nah. Then one day he writes, I'm going to take all my posters, and I'm going to turn it into, like, a little booklet, a digital booklet. I'm going to send it out to everybody. And I said, listen. You bastard. <laughs> I'm like, all you gotta do, I'm like, each poster, write me one page on about that poster. He's like, oh my God, I could easily do that. And now I've been following that page and watching him say, I've got this and I've got that. And now he's all excited and I've sparked that, that you know, uh, lighter under his ass and he's gonna write a book on this guy. And I think it'd be real cool because it's a real random name, you know, but like people in Canada definitely know him. Um, but, uh, to hear about how, man, one of this guy's beers, bears, uh, killed the guy's girlfriend, like mangled her. Like he's got horrible stories. It's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be something to to be in papers. Wasn't he in the East Coast? I'm pushing people to to write books if they can. Wasn't, wasn't the bear man like in the Maritimes, I think? Oh, I'm not sure. Not Hmm. sure. But yeah, the, uh, the story, um, where he died. It is kind of interesting. Um, Adrian Donis had just come in for a loop up in Canada. Uh, he had a bunch of cash on him because he had just came over. He just flew in from um, Baba, all Japan. And, he, and they paid him all in cash. So he had all this loot on him. Oh, yeah. And they were driving somewhere, and it was like middle of the night. Um, and they came around a corner, and something like a deer or something ran in the oh, street. Oh, a moose. The guy swerved. It's a moose. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and the right the, the the car went down into a ditch off a bridge, and there was a ring truck right behind him, and uh, you know one of the twins I think died instantly. Uh, Wild man, the bear man was was driving. He died, and um, Adrian they say was almost dead. And one of the ring crew guys ran to, to you know to come help him fish him out or whatever, and. I, I don't know how much truth there is to this, but at least the legend and the way that Sabu told it and what other wrestlers said, the guy 
like pushed Adrian, took his cash and said, screw you and, and didn't help him and let the guy die so he could get to his loot, I guess. And, uh, yeah, so that's one of the behind the scenes crazy stories that you hear is that this guy could have helped him, but took his cash and let the guy drown. So, but Adrian uh, died yeah, that day of, too. What's that? Didn't Adrian die then too? Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. Rather than to get the help from the guy in the ring truck, guy pretty much opened the hatch, the back of it and dug out Adrian's money and just let him, let him go. Oh, 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 oh okay. The other guy did. Okay. Yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing from what I was actually, I was doing some, I don't know why I was even looking at this. I went down some like a YouTube rabbit hole. So like, like yeah. right before that, like Adrian had lost like a hundred pounds. He was back to his, uh, sort of like New York city weight when he, when he had the leather jacket the, and all that. Oh, okay, so yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's looking good. They said they, they were yeah. thinking that he might even, uh, you know, make a big return and everything was good. He had cut the weight. He was looking good, and then that happened. So Yeah, I, I've uh, I've always thought sort of like he, he should be in the WWE Hall of Fame, but how are you going to put him in the WWE Hall of Fame when his apex was so homophobic? Yeah. Like you, yeah. you just can't. What kind of tribute video do you do without sort of putting his best part in, which was that year-long feud with Piper? Yeah. You, you, you can't do so, it. I mean, I, I don't know, though, because I think you could also liken the gimmick to Goldust. You know, so I, I, I don't know that... Yeah, uh, but Adonis, though, did that... Adonis, either, yeah, but Adonis did that sort of, like, clip where he said, I'm gay. Goldust yeah. never did. Right. You know, too, it's a, thing, a funny thing with Adonis. Um, do you remember when he was still in his leather gear? When he was still a leather daddy? <laughs> yeah, which I think, which, yeah, I guess sure you look back, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess, I, I guess he was village people all along, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when he had, uh, when he had the leather gear, um, he carried a briefcase around. Just yeah, relax with security. What the hell was that supposed to be? So check this out. This is super cool. Um, in the briefcase was his scarves. At least this is what they were going to reveal. His scarves and like his, uh, his uh, new gimmick was in there. And what was going to happen was he was eventually going to have the thing open and people were going to see it and he was going to come out on television. What happened was is he got injured just before that happened. They never had the big reveal, even though they had the big tease of the briefcase over and over and over again. And uh, he left, and when he came back, they just said, well, no one's going to remember that anyhow. We'll just bring it back in, in the, the new gimmick. So the tease happened, but it was, there was never a reveal. And then there was a break, and then he just came in as adorable Adrian. And, you know, it's, it's funny you're, you bring that up, too, because I remember there was a Piper's Pit where he sort of comes yep. out in the, in the bleach blonde and then the weird bows on his hair. And, and the bows, too, just for, for people who didn't see it. It's not like like a bow for your hair. It's like a Christmas bow, something you put on a Christmas yeah, yeah. box. It was like, it was like if you're if you were gonna be sort of like here's here's the rudimentary kit. If you're gonna be a 1986 stereotypical homosexual from what you think they are, right? You know, and he just did that, and he gave Piper <laughs> the leather jacket. Not at the time, I had no idea that they were like super close friends. And like after talking with Chavo Senior, like realizing that that was part of that little LA crew too that they had. Oh yeah, yeah, because huh. Chavo and Chavo that? and Adrian went oh, way back did? too. 
the leather jacket to Piper? Is that what you said? Yeah, on a Piper's pit. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I didn't even I don't even remember seeing it. I just sort of like felt again down a YouTube rabbit hole, sort of watching all yeah, this yeah. other stuff and how that sort of like uh, came out. And you know, it's, it's just sort of like one of those things. I remember seeing him then at Maple Leaf Gardens and he played that to the hilt. And then you know, looking back, it's like okay, this guy is clearly playing because <laughs> yeah. like. He was the furthest thing from anyone who would be sort of like at any kind of gay bar. But you don't know that when you're a fourteen year old kid, right? <laughs> so um, it's funny too because you know when writing these books, you hear these little stories and stuff like mm. that, and you pick which ones you want to put in and and this and that. When I wrote um, Brutus Beefcake's book and Tito Santana's book, they both came up with the same story and they both wanted it in there. It was Adrian Adonis. Uh, taking on Dan Spivey backstage. I've heard about that. What, what's that? No, no, I've heard about that. That's uh, that's where Spivey uh, pu- yeah. you know, took a punch at him. Oh, yeah, please, yeah, please, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, so uh, Dan Davis talked about it too. So like three guys, and, and it's just funny to hear the same story and you get a little bit more each time I hear the story, you know, I get these little details. So like uh, when I was telling Tito's, I already knew the story from Beefcake, but then I got even more of it. You know, so uh, basically what happened was is Dan Spivey came in to replace Barry Windham in the USA Express, but it's not really what happened right off the bat. He came in and was an enhancement talent to some degree, and most of them thought he was a younger guy, 20s or so, but he's actually in his 30s, and he was a bouncer, and he was also a bit of a loan shark for guys. He would go around and break people's legs if they didn't pay money. He was a tough guy, and people didn't know this. So they put him in there with, with uh, Ad- uh, adorable Adrian one night, and it, Adrian's doing his, his snot gimmick where he blows the snot rockets up on his hands and he goes to lock up with them. And Dan Spivey's like, "Dude, if you do that again, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick your ass. I don't want this. I don't want your your boogers all over me when I'm wrestling and stuff." And Spy- and you know, and, and Adrian's like, "Who's this kid to like say anything to me like this?" So the next night, Adrian starts stiffing the hell out of him. He's so, like, listen, oh, I'm telling okay. you, you take liberties with me one more time, I'm going to lay you out. And they were booked somewhere, and Spidey just let him have it. He, 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 uh, he, he hit him in the corner and beat him up and knocked him out. And then a ref comes over and doesn't know what to do because the finish is supposed to be Spivey taking a pin, but Adrian's laying on the mat, and Spivey's like, I'm going to pin him now, and you can count. He's like, or you can do whatever you want, but I'm not taking the fall for him tonight because he tried to knock me out again. So the ref's like, geez, what the hell do I do? So Spivey went to pin him, and the ref's like, I'm not doing it. He's like, he's kind of like putting his hand under the shoulder, like saying, you know, he's not really like, you can't pin him. So Spivey's like, all right, screw you guys. And he just, he just leaves. So they did a count out. So, so he gets the back. Eventually, Adrian gets up and it's pissed, and he comes back in the back, and he he's ready to uh, to take him on, and he, he he dives at Spivey's leg, and Spivey sidesteps him and just hits him with another uppercut and knocks him out again. And now you, they say you could see the bone sticking out of his face on his cheek that hit yeah. him so hard. <laughs> they said it called him like the left hand man and all of this, and Spivey like kind of like got over it, like with all the boys in the back and. Uh, Adrian uh, just stayed clear of him, and then eventually he was gone. So um, while that was happening, though, like little things that I picked up is uh, from Tito's. Uh, when they got back there, um, 
everyone knew the fight was about to happen. And I said, well, what did you do? Did you try to break them up? Or were people pointing? He's like, nah, I started moving the furniture out of the way. <laughs> Sabino's moving the furniture out of the way. He said that that's what you would do. If it, it's like, you let those guys like handle it real quick and then they'd be done and there, would, there wouldn't be any of these problems anymore in the ring because they finally settled it. So that, that was kind of a cowboy uh, Bill Watts way to, to settle mm-hmm. stuff was to let the guys kind of have it out and then they'd be finished with it, you know, they'd yeah, go back yeah. to regular business. So one of the guys you, you, you're writing for, so I can see the segue to, uh, to Tito because, you know, you had met him before. Where did Sabu come from? Because, like, how did yeah, you meet up with Sabu? Like, like, how, Sabu, how you... I hadn't worked with much any of those guys uh, until more recently mm-hmm. um, because, uh, anyhow, the ECW locker room was really tight. Like, they didn't let a lot of people just kind of hang out and stuff. They were, uh, they were almost cult-like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so... Um, Back in the 90s, the stuff when ECW was hot, I was doing independence. Um, I had worked some with Joel Gertner. Um, I had worked some with Jeff's Incredible. That was about it. That was only my ends to ECW for the most part. Um, I did I did get a... What, what do they call that? The, the Dudley move. Oh, the... Through the table. Three, three, I got, yeah, they hit me with that on some show. <laughs> So that, that was about it, though, I think. Um, so anyhow, just uh, uh, there was a, a girl manager named uh, Liz Savage. She was friends with Sabu and said to to him, hey, you should have Ken do your book. And she contacted me, and, and I contacted him, and it just took off running, which was neat for me because it was all different stories now. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, because Kamala had a little bit of crossover with Tito, and Tito had a little crossover with with Bruce Beefcake stories and, and the like with Danny Davis, so but now Sabu, that was a different era almost. Not really though, because uh he started a lot earlier than some people who give him credit for. He started like early eighties, so um but he did a lot of more new age stuff at the time and all. So but yeah, yeah, that one kinda came through again like a friend of a friend kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And how was he to work with it? Cool, man. I mean, uh, he uh, he would call me up, and at first, his concern was when he read the first bit of the book that I was writing, he's like, uh, what'd that word say? I'm like, uh, what, despicable? Yeah, I don't even know if I know what that means. Like, I guess I do, but I would never use it. So then I realized, okay, I gotta write this more in a caveman, yeah. more in a, you know, very primal, choppy, um, less, uh, what's the word, less fancy kind of way of speaking. And then he saw it and he's like, okay, now I see myself in the book and I get it, I'm getting it, you know, now. So um, it just took me a little while. I had to get, that's that's a big process that I go through with the ghostwriter. And they do the interviewing, they get all the stories down, uh, maybe send them a draft. But uh, come halfway through the book or so, I'll realize, geez, he wouldn't say it like this because now I know his voice. I know how he talks, you know, um, for guys who have podcasts and have, have stuff out there, you can kind of, if you listen to them for a couple hours here and there, um, you'll know how they speak and you get that and stuff like that. I, I almost leaked who I was doing the next book for. <laughs> so, uh, but the <laughs> next book that I'm working on. Everyone's got a uh, podcast. You didn't leak anything. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys can figure it out by me talking. That's fine, but I won't. I won't uh, <laughs> confirm or deny. But one of the biggest wrestling podcasts out there. Um, two guys on it. Uh, the one guy that I'm doing it on. Uh, just from listening to his podcast, I've eliminated hours and hours of the process of okay, I have to go back and write it to how he would speak this now after figuring that out after a number of interviews because I've already heard hundreds of his hours of podcasts. I don't want to say hundreds, but a lot of you know hours of podcasts. So I've already got that. Um, uh, I think you'll probably realize that once you get the whole Shavo book together, toward the end of it, you would probably get how he would speak a little bit or easier well, it, than how... You know, it started out. It, it was kind it was of ironic, out. though. He he didn't want to necessarily go the way he spoke. Oh, okay, I hear you. Yeah. So, you know, in that case, I mean, like I I've got something that I think is like excellent, but not necessarily the way he would actually verbalize it. But he was happy right. with the and way it came out because, yeah, he probably had a bit of I don't want to say broken English, but he probably wanted to dress up where he might lack in. Uh, speaking uh english in, in right? some ways yeah in some ways actually chavo you talk about like teachers he was a history teacher yeah huh. yeah yeah uh, like back in el paso so but just sort of like but he would speak in sort of like uh, what's i don't even know how to sort of describe that the way he spoke is not necessarily the way it was written but i can right. say when it all comes out he saw every chapter so he approved every chapter of the way it was sort of done. So, you know, I, I, I try, you know, it's one of those things too. Cause like also now I'm trying to, I'm crossing ethnic lines. Right. You know, cause I like a middle-aged white guy trying to sort of like speak for a senior Hispanic. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> right. And, and it was, uh, it was a struggle, uh, in many ways, and I, I, had, I had that conversation with him, oh my God, so I don't know how many times. Like, yeah. am I, ca- Chavo, am I capturing your voice? Yeah, man, yeah, brother, yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, he's, he's sounding like Cheech <laughs> from uh, you know, Cheech and Chop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you're happy with it, and I'm getting what yeah. you want, then this is a win. Yeah. So, uh, closing off, I want to ask, uh, what would be sort of your dream get? To sort of uh, if to if you were to do sort of like an auto like a, a like a, to help another wrestler, huh? You know, I think it'd be neat to do a, a rock star instead of a wrestler, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I could do it as well because I don't have I can't fill in the blanks. Like right, and that's fine. So, so who would the rock star be? Oh, I, I don't even know to be honest with you. I just think it would be neat to jump into a different genre. But I mean, as far as a wrestler is concerned. Uh, a big name, like a big, big name, like Hogan, or I don't. Who doesn't have a book out there, though? That's the thing. If they're a big name, they usually already have the book, so they don't need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how to. I don't know how to exactly answer that. All right, so <laughs> so let's say Rockstar. Jeez, uh, I don't know. Let me think. Uh, and I would imagine they already have books, but I mean, probably somebody that I that I uh, grew up liking. Like, maybe, like, uh, Steven Tyler book would be cool or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something like that would be neat. Steven but, uh, Tyler, How I Morphed into a, uh, to an Old Woman book. <laughs> yeah. There's some truth. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah. 
Lo- I love Aerosmith, but yeah, <laughs> watching him age sort of is giving me my template as to what not to do. <laughs> he gets some weird stuff with his hair. It doesn't help either. So. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, it's, I'll put it this way. I, I, I can't listen to Dude Looks Like a Lady the same way. So, uh, anyhow, I guess I can't answer that. Um, your question, the more that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Um, I, I have approached both uh, Scott Hall and Kevin, Na- Kevin Nash. Mm-hmm. And neither are interested in writing the book right now. I've also approached Jake the Snake Roberts. Mm. And he is and has a manuscript that's over 1,200 pages long. So it would be it would, it would be a lot of editing and a lot of chunking and taking stuff out and stuff. But there's a lot of stuff there already. But the problem with Jake is is he, he needs to make it agenda or it's not going to happen at all. And he hasn't made it agenda. And I don't even know if I'd be the guy that's necessarily capped, though we've talked about it a number of times. So... Um, could happen. Did Jake write so it? Th- yeah, he's been writing stuff forever, supposedly. Next time you talk uh, to Kevin Nash, you can ask him why he's blocked me on Twitter. Well, I'll have to. <laughs> Do you have any clue? Was there some kind of like... No! Uh, I, I, nothing! Better? Nothing! I, I, I have no... I have absolutely no idea. Because <laughs> like on the website, it's sort of like... T- uh, I'm tr- the only time he was ever tagged was before he got into the WWE Hall of Fame, and I did, like, a countdown on the thing. It's like, at number 15 is Kevin Nash, and that was it, and, like, just with that. Huh. And then, like, I'm on, like, I think PW Insiders or or FW or Melter's site, whatever it is, Wrestling Observer. And then it was like, Kevin Nash says something. I'm like, oh, okay, what did he say? And then I clicked on the Twitter, like, you are blocked. Like, what the hell did I do? The only thing I could think, too, with some of these guys is that you shared something they saw that they didn't like, no. and then rather than to to show... Well, I, I mean, nothing... Your own. You could just share somebody else's whatever. You could say, oh, check this out. Uh, yeah, but I, I never I never share one. anything. Well, then I don't know them, man. But no, I, obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll never know. I'll, he... tell you, I'll tell you offline, too. I have somebody who blocked me, but I can't say what it was about or I don't want to ignite it right now. It wouldn't be a good time to ignite it. <laughs> <laughs> when we get offline, I'll tell you who I'm blocking. Yeah, we'll, 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 st- we'll stay, stay offline. I got a couple th- more things to ask you too. All right. Well, Kenny, this has been great. Uh, I thank you again for all the help that you're sort of giving me in the future. And thank you for everything that you've done for some of these people that we grew up watching. And yep. it's it's fantastic. I have nothing but great memories of late 80s and early 90s wrestling. And for what you've done for, for some of these people, I think it's incredible. Thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. All right, my pleasure.